Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Gray Malkin Lane's newest Patreon episode. I am so thrilled to be joined by one of my favorite uh, artists and one of my favorite podcast podcast guests of all time, uh, Mr. Bob Quinn. It is such an honor to not only have you be willing to come on the show the first time, but you've come back a second and third time, and now you're doing a Patreon with me, my friend. Thank you so oh. much for being on the show. Listen, if there's one thing I love to do, it's to talk about nerdy stuff with people who are cool. And guess <laughs> what this show is? <laughs> now, our last episode, if you got to listen, featured Gregory Wright and Rohan Shuli. We delved into the character Light Bright, uh, who's an obscure 90s character. Today, we get to go back to uh, the 1960s again. In uh, We're going to talk a lot about my maybe this is a strong statement but my least favorite x-men villain <laughs> yeah the mad merlin also he's, known, he's uh, something else yeah <laughs> merlin demon spawn he's a he's nuts uh before we jump in bob tell people a little bit about yourself and where they might know you from you have a strange adjacent connection to this character <laughs> uh Actually, well, I don't. My, my my connections to this character are not that adjacent, really, anymore. So, uh, hey, everybody, I'm Bob. Uh, I draw X Men on occasion. I draw other things for Marvel on occasion, uh, like uh, like Alligator Loki. Yeah, Alligator Loki. You might have heard of it. Knights of X, Way of X. Uh, I've done Captain America. I've done Miss Marvel. I've done all kinds of stuff, along with a bunch of other things for other people. Currently, uh, delving into the realm of creator owned books, and then hopefully we'll be returning to Marvel shortly after that. Uh, if they'll still have me, um, but uh, but yeah, but the uh, yeah, my my connection to this character is actually I've, um so Knights of X featured Merlin, obviously the 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 central antagonist to Otherworld, uh, and and then on top of that, I also did a uh, a Black Knight issue with Cy Spurrier, which also featured Merlin, though I don't think it was it wasn't the evil one. I don't think I don't know. There's been some retconning here and there, so it's <laughs> it's hard to tell which one I got. Marvel, uh, Marvel has a lot of mystic realms and a lot of uh, kind of extra dimensional spaces. Uh, some of them are very central to the X-Men, like Limbo for magic, as an example. Mm -hmm. uh, and Captain Britain is uh, connected to the Captain Britain corpse, which puts mm -hmm. him all over the place. But their central location is in another world called uh, Otherworld. Another world called Otherworld. God, that was terrible <laughs> phrasing. It's uh, like bringing up Limbo because you saw I was reading through New Mutants again. So. <laughs> oh, yes. I have also been reading through New Mutants because I'm doing a one of these shows. I'm doing a Demon Bear episode with Sam Humphreys pretty soon. Uh, oh, that crazy. Demon Bear episode. Oh, I, I just finished that yesterday. That's That's when Bill comes on. And it's so good. It's so beautiful, but I finished the arc twice and thought at the end, this was so good, but what the fuck is the demon bear? I still don't know. <laughs> it's 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 the it's the it's the mystical demon bear that killed uh uh Danny Moonstar's parents. Except kind of absorbed them and became them, but that also wasn't yes. them. Yes, it's but then also that but then also turned two people into Native Americans. So I don't know. It's mm -hmm. all it's all kinds of weird. And then there's and then he comes back and then uh gets poisoned by Eli Bard, but also there's a different demon bear from another realm that gets connected to Bishop in his Mumadra era. Yeah, no, we'll get there in that episode. It's it's mm -hmm. uh it's been problematic, but uh, Captain Britain uh, is connected to Otherworld, which is very central to Camelot, which is the King Arthur, Merlin, uh, Knights of the Round Table classic era. But in Marvel, it's also associated with Roma 
and yep. uh, Lady Saturnine and all these all these characters who are kind of built in. And these are the characters that Bob has drawn. Uh, yeah, you, you should read Knights of X. It's got all that stuff in it. It's good. Along with Kylun and all and all kinds of weirdos. Bay the Blood game. Moon? There's so much good stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, Bay was fun to draw. Yeah, all right, all right. <laughs> I could watch you draw Captain Britain, uh, Betsy Braddock, and uh, dragons and swordplay like all fucking day long, man. You're amazing. I appreciate it. I was not allowed to continue, sadly. They always do that thing where it's like I'm starting to really get into something, and then they're like, "All right, well, that's your that's your turn on this. Now it's time to move on to something else." But here's four other jobs, Bob, and you're like, "Ah, <laughs> yeah, here's yeah." <laughs> Oh god, I'm so excited! I um, I, I I sort of vague tweeted about this recently, but I just got some colors in from an alligator Loki that I'm so excited for people to read. It's like it's, I've, I've done like 24 of these things now, and it's easily my favorite of any one I've ever done. It just it's it's perfect. It's exactly what I wanted it to be, and uh, our our colorist Pete really just 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 kicked its butt so hard. It's amazing. I'm, I'm very I'm very pleased and very excited for people to see it. I, you and Alyssa Wong are such a cute, <clears throat> wonderful pairing. I think you're just doing lovely work on Alligator Loki. They're simple, clever, uh, almost easy to read stories, but there's so much depth and character and expression in each little episode of Alligator Loki. It's a blast, man. It's so cute. Yeah, it's another one of those things where I feel like the the writer and I really share a certain amount of sensibilities to a, to a place where it's like, actually working on the strip is is not an effort at all like i'm just kind of like, okay yeah i get this i know exactly what i have to do here uh and, and and Alyssa is definitely one of those writers for sure like we we just we we seem to have a a, a similar sensibility i haven't i haven't met uh, them in person but um you know i i look forward to the day and we, it turns out we act like um they are also friends with uh, Trung Win, who who did uh, what was it the Magic Fish or whatever, and then uh, yeah, yeah. he he and I play Overwatch together sometimes, and like it's totally wild. But um... Trung uh, Trung just did a Karma special. Uh, mm -hmm. It was so good, and I just booked Trung on my show in uh, in about seven weeks. Uh, this is the first announcement of that publicly for those that oh. hear. I'm Trung so excited. I, I a love like e even even just like. So again, as we 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 occasionally play Overwatch together, and it's like a pressure cooker of of just idiots running around and playing a very intense, like probably playing playing a stupid video game way too hard, as though they're gonna like somehow end up doing it professionally. But uh, we we had a lovely time and a lovely chat, the whole, you know, the whole time we were playing. And I was like, oh, this this is a cool guy. Even the pressure cooker of this horrible game, uh, he's he's so nice. <laughs> Uh, Marvel, you also mentioned the Black Knight. Marvel also has a bizarre history from Camelot. There's a character uh, called the Black Knight named Sir Percy of Scandia who mm. discovers, uh, Mer well, the real Merlin discovers a meteor that has this crazy shit in it. There's all this like crazy powerful rocks that fall to earth across Marvel's history. We're going to talk about yes. a couple of them today. Uh, and he creates the Ebony Blade, which passes on to the Black Knight, who was in the Masters of Evil, and then into the Black Knight, who is now the members of member of the Avengers, who now has a mutant daughter, who's also the Black Knight. We're not going to talk about any of that today, but that's yeah. also Camelot adjacent, which you have. <laughs> I got, I got to draw, I got to draw her too, and then I, I drew a bunch of evil X Men. 
that was a really cool issue if you've never read it yeah that like crazy creepy image of like the uh creepy demon gene gray floating yeah that was good stuff man you did a great job yeah i like i like that book a lot that one was cool (laughs) you're you're working with a lot of really incredible writers bob really like people i I respect so much Dude, I have been so lucky with the people that I've gotten to work with. That, like, right out the gate, I'm working with Fred Van Lenty, who just knows how to write stuff that is fun. Next person I, I I hook up with, Jeff Parker, also knows how to write great, fun comics. Followed immediately by Mark Russell. Like, mm-hmm. followed by Rainbow Roll, Robbie Thompson. Like, uh, th- th- it's 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 like a murderer's row of people who are absolutely awesome at this. Cy Spurrier, Ta-Nehisi Coates uh uh again teeny howard like every, every single person i work with is just like yeah this is they're they're great they're great at this this is awesome this, again yeah. making my job very easy <laughs> I, i'm podcasting these days back when i was actively working on the marvel handbooks uh, i've said this on the show before but part of my job was reading all upcoming scripts like three months in advance so i could stay current on the characters mm-hmm. uh fred van lenty is one of those writers who i've never met fred uh mm-hmm. but i uh during that few years I read all of his scripts and I got like really familiar with his writing style and god he's mm-hmm. so good he's just an incredible storyteller yeah the, the thing that's great about him um in my experience of he he writes one of the easiest to read scripts from a from an artist perspective and the other thing that I really like about him is oh I've also worked with Dan Slott too geez who haven't I worked oh, with oh sure awesome. so like like He's one of those people who gives you just enough information in your panel description that you get to be real creative with it and kind of pick your shots real good, but like tells you all the important stuff that's in there. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then like uh, Dan Slot stuff is really interesting, too, because he has a tendency to be very, very loose and then he'll fill in the, the dialogue afterward. But like the, the fun thing about that, it's, it's very much more the quote unquote Marvel method stuff where you get to really compose a page and do the storytelling yourself and like, you know, um, you, you you can force him to write around your art, which is what I like. <laughs> you I, I don't I don't want to worry about your dialogue. You figure that out. I'll just draw <laughs> cool stuff. <laughs> well, and what this shows you is you are developing a network of people who love working with you. You're a phenomenal penciler, man. Really, truly. You're a great artist. And artistry is its own form of storytelling. You know these characters and you work hard and they all look distinctive from each other. And you can do magic and you can do swords and you can do drama. And you can do alligators. It's great. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Now, now wait until uh, my uh, creator-owned books start hitting, and then you can see me do some coloring. And then you're really going to have your mind blown. I promise you. Like when I when I started coming up in the industry, I, I originally colored my own work, um, and I haven't like you know Mar- Marvel because they, they are a pretty big machine and they are very particular about their uh, their deadlines and stuff like that. I've asked on numerous occasions. Hey, do you think I could try coloring this book? And they'll be like, I don't know. Um, so I'm like, all right, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a little step back from Marvel for a second. I'm going to do my own book with some, with some people. I'm really excited to working on a book about, and I'm going to come back with a bunch of books that I've colored myself. And I'm going to go, and I'm going to basically hand it to them and go, see, this is why you let me do it. Cause I, I'm, I'm telling you, I've never been like, I'm, I'm very proud of the work I've done at Marvel. I've never been more proud of pages that I've done in my entire career as the ones I'm doing right now. I'm it very, very excited for people to me, see them. I, I don't know you super well, but I've hung out with you enough times. It sounds to me like you have been able to heal up a little bit and uh, kind of rediscover your love of why you're doing all this. That's the vibe I'm getting today a little bit. Uh, 
Yeah, you know, the funny thing is, is like, I, I really love working on the Marvel stuff, but there is a certain amount of like, like they, they are a big, they are a big enterprise, right? And like, they really love to, uh, they love to keep people who are on time busy, right? And I think uh, I've been able to take a little step back just with this new book to, uh, I guess, really focus on the artistry of the thing like I, I you know i've i've had situ i usually usually with marvel and stuff like that I, I will turn in a page and it will be like that's it that's what i'm doing but with this book every now and then i'll turn in a page and then i'll go no oh, i can do that better and it's forced me to uh, on on a, on a number of occasions go back relook at re stuff re-examine is there a better way to tell the story is there a more interesting way to lay out this page and um yeah i don't know i, I i'm hoping that uh i'm growing a little bit as an artist so that when I come back, uh, I'll be able to deliver things to even greater heights. Hopefully, hopefully we'll see. Uh, ha now, before we started talking about this episode, I suggested this character to you. A lot of times I let my guests choose their characters, but I'm so glad you were willing to go on this ride with me. Number one, it's adjacent to your work. Number right. two, he's just fucking hilarious. And you're fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, so, you, he's so goofy. Had you ever heard of this guy, the Mad Merlin before? Um, I had not actually because his he does not pop up that much as far as I can tell. Like he's got a couple of weird ancillary things. And then it's like, like I said, like there's he he shows up. He's this thing. They kind of retcon a thing that he isn't actually the guy that they said he was. And then like all of a sudden I'm like, oh, yeah, I've, I've never really heard of this guy. But all the stuff that he shows up in is typically pretty hilarious. So there are a lot of stories from the 60s where the villains are completely forgotten. This guy has been used more than a lot of them. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, he has been in two issues of the X-Men. We've covered both of these issues on my show. Uh, X-Men X Men number 30, we covered with Adam Gorham, who is another mm -hmm. just wonderful penciler. And X-Men... Oh, he's a good guy, too. I, I have not met him, but um, we, we have a couple of... Uh... Yeah, I, I, I've never actually met him in person. I, I, it was actually a Emerald City, and I kept being like, "Oh, I'm gonna go visit Adam at his at his table." And every time I walked by, he wasn't there. But um, we have a lot of uh, mutual friends, and um, he he just uh, we we occasionally exchange stuff on uh on the over the internet and stuff like that. It just it just seems like a really he's, lovely dude. He's a phenomenal human being. Uh, I I might argue, I might posit that anyone from Canada is automatically lovely, and <laughs> Adam. Adam also this. And then we also did uh, X-Men 47, where uh, the our character comes back as the Mahayogi. That episode is with uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson, who's just another awesome. phenomenal human. Uh, yeah. so is he also Canadian? My show. Uh, Philip is not Canadian. Because okay. I'm, I'm also very good friends with Max Dunbar, who is, uh, I think he's from Toronto. A phenomenal, phenomenal artist and also a, a prince of a human being. So I have had a number of Canadians on my show, all of whom are just lovely. If you're American, <laughs> I'd give it like a 40% chance here lovely but if you're canadian whoa like 95 percent chance <laughs> i hope i'm beating the odds baby oh well i keep inviting <laughs> you back my friend fair enough <laughs> so if we start with this guy he first shows up in journey into mystery number 96 it's 1963 and this is back when stanley is like coming up with a, like four new villains every week because he needs mm. someone else for everyone to fight this is the split book where thor gets hiked like half the book uh, and they later launch it into the Thor series. It's this book has been running since like the mid fifties, and it's journey into mystery, which is like the the catchphrase we always associate with Thor. If you saw like the Thor movie, he like flies by a billboard at one point, and that's like says journey into mystery, like go travel, like it's it's an Easter yeah. his movie because it's 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 working. 
Uh, Stanley's working with someone named uh, Robert Bernstein, who I do not know much about, and Joe Sinnott, and they create Thor's most forgettable villain from the 1960s. Well, hang on. We, we, I think we're going to find that there's a lot to, to love about Mad Merlin here. I would also like to talk about this 12-cent cover price. Holy smokes. <laughs> this was like it, this was like World War II generation baby boomers, like all the kids that were born in World War II. It's like the early 60s mm -hmm. and their parents raised them like coming out of the Great Depression to like, don't spend anything on anything. Well, cents was like a lot of money. For yeah. <laughs> well, where am I going to get 12 cents, Billy? <laughs> we're not made of money, you know. And uh, the, the the character introduced for Thor in this issue is the Mad Merlin. And this is almost the issue I want to spend the most time on. It's only a 13-page story. But God, the intro to this character is just... It, and so, <laughs> like, it's... I, I was paging through it, and I was like... I was like, man, oh, oh, so much happens. And all of a sudden, I looked up, and I was like, this is... Is this 12? Is this 13 pages? That's it? <laughs> like, so much crap happens in these 13 pages. It's absolutely insane. <laughs> it makes me extraordinarily happy. So uh, describe the Mad Merlin's original costume for us. He changes it up a few times. It's gross every time, but somehow his original yeah, one. Yeah, the original, he, he wears what could best be described as a long nightgown. <laughs> no, it's, it's, a, it's a long robe. Right with but but it is it is uh he he loves a print if that if that's one thing that I've learned about the Mad Merlin the mage is that he loves a good print and this one is covered in stars and moons now you may be thinking okay it, now it's green right stars and moons is going to be nice some of them are yellow some of them are a gross pale green um but you know uh it, it's like... it's an appropriate color scheme they work together uh, and then he wears. Kind of weird brown boots. Yeah, they're they're horrific. <laughs> yeah, they're, it's not a great look. I mean, I'm not I'm not sure if this, maybe he should have gone with Crocs or something. He's also but, uh... got like the tall pointed uh, like wizard hat and like mm -hmm. you're you're a beard man. Uh, I am. What do you I think am. of Merlin's beard? Um, I mean, look, it, it appears to be well oiled and well quaffed. It, it flows so nicely. <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, look, as a man who is is currently going through the throes uh, of of a heavy graying, uh, <laughs> uh, look, he, it's it's a it's a it's a beautiful, solid brown, and I I appreciate it. I respect. It. He's, he, youth, uh, he's very youthful for his age. He has hair and and beard like down to like rib cage level, uh, and he's wearing yeah, right down to the base of the sternum, probably there. His costume, I feel like his mom got like a hundred yards of the same like patented wizard fabric from Joanne's fabric on sale. And then she just sewed it all into this like giant. Yeah. It, it's oof. It's, a it's one of those things where it was like, where it was like, mom, I want to be a wizard for Halloween. And she's like, I don't need a pattern. <laughs> and his, his eyebrows like would rival Professor X for like the bushiest eyebrows award. This. <laughs> yeah, this they. Yeah, consistently throughout the uh, pretty much all of his appearances, they they are definitely feathered upward in in a in a very aggressive manner. And then, uh, uh, my favorite thing, at least in the in these in this first appearance, is he absolutely has the crazy eyes. Like every every single panel of him, there's one arched eyebrow that goes straight up, and, and the, like the little itty bitty pupil is kind of like always feels like it's darting around. Uh, Sometimes it zaps like, lightning. His eyeballs. Yeah. 
Yes. If there's not some sort of green light shooting uh, or emanating from them, he's shooting lightning from them. So, I mean, he's got powerful eyes. So the uh, the caption box on this first cover say it says, Thrilled to the Battle of Titans as mighty Thor faces the awesome power of Merlin the Mad. And Merlin is standing like... Uh, <laughs> He's low widespread and his arms are straight out like fingers at the square. He's casting some sort of spell. And mm-hmm. this is this is Thor in his twink era. He's like very skinny. He <laughs> is. I, I That was the first thing I noticed. I was like, man, this guy has not been hitting the gym that much right now. <laughs> and uh, Merlin is saying out loud, behold, Thor, your power is nothing compared to the mystic arts at my command. And uh, Thor is frozen in place. Now, this story, let me cover this plot in one like summary and then let's talk about it this is a nuts story uh oh oh also on the cover they're fighting in front of the capitol building which is a pretty big thing for marvel at the time to like put this in a real world setting like uh hanging out in washington dc by the way jfk makes an appearance in this comic book yeah (laughs) beautifully rendered uh both jfk and the capitol building uh i don't know it's it's nice uh, so inside, uh, it says, defying the magic of Mad Merlin, and the Mad is driven, like drawn in like earthquake font, and Merlin is like bold print, and they're different shades of green. Uh, Thor is hanging out on a rooftop, and he's watching a stone sarcophagus being lifted off of a, the by crane off of a, from a ship, and a worker says that the sarcophagus is carrying the body of Merlin, the Mad Wizard of King Arthur's court. Now, I'm assuming Stan Lee meant to make this the actual Merlin. We're going to learn in time through more than one retcon that this guy uh, was a an imposter. He might be magic, yeah. he might be a mutant, he might be an immortal or an alien experiment. We'll get into that in a minute. But my first question is... I want to I want to spend as much time on this podcast talking about Mongu when we get there. But no no rush, please. I I like I got to tell you, like when we when the when the Mongu storyline got there, I was like, "Oh man, I really feel for this guy." Mongu's <laughs> adorable somehow. I kind of like Mongu. I love that guy. Uh, anyway, my first question is if this is Merlin, why the fuck is Merlin in a sarcophagus? That's a that's like the wrong uh the wrong country of origin. Uh, but they assume that the preserved body of Merlin is inside, and they plan to open the crypt uh, at the museum later. Yeah, and it is a <laughs> it is a very spooky sarcophagus covered in in sigils of moons and circles and stars, and also what appear to be skulls and creepy faces. There and it always, is also bright purple. <laughs> they're always after me, lucky charms. <laughs> yeah, right. Man, uh, you know what? I think the purple explains it. That is actually a marshmallow sarcophagus. <laughs> And Thor is thinking, hmm, so Merlin is visiting America. It's a good thing he's in no condition to practice strange sorcery now. Uh, then On Thor- account of his death. <laughs> Thor goes back to his office where he's working as the uh, lame Dr. Donald Blake. This is the word they would use in the 60s all the time. Lame meaning he had a limp. Uh, not that he did not. Not that he was like not a cool guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Nurse Jane Foster, who I love, sixties Jane Foster. She's all pissed. She's like, "You were supposed to fluoroscope a patient," and he's like, "I was helping civilians in a bus accident, but I can't tell her that." So we we go to the museum, and the sarcophagus is open, and Merlin's body has been perfectly preserved. And was it science or magic? Was it an airtight crypt or a mystery embalming process? Everyone is wondering. Uh, but Merlin is actually awake. He's waiting. Hang for on, the- we're just gonna we're just gonna skip over Thor throwing a bus. 
Oh, you, no, tell us about Thor and his adventure here. He <laughs> no, swims no, to the bottom the, of an ocean. He, yeah, this bus goes into the into the into the bay or whatever, and he he, <laughs> he attaches Mjolnir to it and throws it, and the bus has a soft landing uh, on the east side bus terminal. I thought that was very funny. Anyway, a, you, please. With a puddle of water all around yeah. it. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry, please. His, Merlin his is permanently hammer, preserved. His hammer guided the bus to a safe landing. That's, yes, of course. Of if course. you didn't know Mjolnir, it could do this. Okay, so Merlin is in his crypt. He's His hands are folded at his chest. He's like laying on a pillow. Uh, and as soon as everyone leaves the room, he sits up. <laughs> he goes, they're gone. My master plan is working perfectly. They think I'm dead, but I never died. Never. And we get a bizarre origin story right from the beginning. So he says, uh, he's thinking to himself, I was prepared for my enemies. When they came to kill me, they found me in a comatose state. They thought I had poisoned myself, but I had merely used a magic spell, which only my genius could create. The spell arranged that when my crypt was opened, the rush of air would revive me after a sleep of centuries. So we're to get the gist that like an army was coming to kill him. And he cast a spell to make them believe he was dead within his crypt so that he could awaken hundreds of years later when someone hopefully opened his crypt sometime. That's yeah. the we got so far. Uh, any, any comments? Uh, what, what I love is how all over the place this is because it was like, I, I would make these brews to impress people, but I also have sorcery, but also maybe I have telepathy that is within myself. Like he's just, he's every, he can do everything. <laughs> So he can formidable what a formidable adversary for Thor. He consults a newspaper and discovers that it's 1963 and the leader of the land is President John F. Kennedy. Then he's thinking back to his origins in Merlin's court uh, in Camelot. And he uh, you're the Camelot guy. Do you want to tell us this story? <laughs> Do I want to tell us this story? Yeah. So like he he says that like he was like a he he was a sorcerer right and then uh he's going to he's going to basically use a potion or or like a big witch's brew to read the future okay and then he sees that there's going to be an attack uh, like a sneak attack and everybody's all like oh thank goodness for merlin he saw it coming but it was like he didn't actually use the witch's brew it was that he had telepathy or something. Yeah, so <laughs> we're led to believe later that he's a mutant, but then later that's retconned into aliens giving him powers through like a yes. stone that fell to Earth. We'll get to all that. But even in this story- But then the stone didn't give him the powers, it gave him a different power. Like it's yeah. it's everywhere. <laughs> Basically what you need to know, he's telepathic, he's telekinetic, and he sometimes has magic abilities and also maybe lives forever and also casts spells, but doesn't call it magic. But yes. He's boasting to himself multiple times about how he tricked Merlin and King Arthur, excuse me, not Merlin. He tricked King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table into believing that he was magic, but he wasn't. And he's like, the fools, as it like zooms in on his creepy eyes over yeah. and over again. <laughs> but also he admitted to being magic a moment ago. I'm baffled by this man in a in a deliciously 1960s way. Yeah, that's that's really what's great about him is that like it, it is he's an unreliable narrator, you know? <laughs> But he does believe he's a mutant. Oh, oh he can also teleport. And uh, yes, thing he does because he wants to take over everything. Apparently, now he mm -hmm. goes to Cape Dior and he uh, interferes with a missile launch so he can impress the public. And then he wants to become the secret power behind John F. Kennedy, which is amazing. Yeah. But Thor stops the missile. Thor thinks that Loki did it. 
and he teleports to Loki, who is like <laughs> chained to a wall. Chain chained to a random wall in the middle of nowhere, being like, Man, I didn't do anything. Like, you gotta leave a guy alone. It's not always me. He's like, You did it, Loki. And Loki's like, No, it wasn't me. It was probably Merlin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he just knew, you know? I love it. Uh, oh, man. Then, this is my favorite part of this entire nonsense story Merlin teleports to Washington, D.C., he goes to the police station. He keeps hearing people talk about Thor, so he wants to like lure Thor into lure, lure Thor. I'm saying Thor like it has a U in it. Uh, <laughs> he wants to lure Thor into a trap, so he's like, send him a message. But then also he teleports to the president so that he can. Find no, 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 no. Hang on. He he teleports to the White House so that he can meet John F. Kennedy only to be told by the guy there, hey man, you can't do it without an appointment. He's like, all right. <laughs> Fool, by tomorrow you will tremble at the mere mention of my name. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, I need an appointment. Well, I guess I'll just teleport away then. It's all good. Does he have any availability around noon tomorrow? <laughs> Then he sneaks into the president's chambers and we get an image of JFK with the bushiest hair uh, taking his daughter Caroline off to see their horse Macaroni. And that's a real thing. They did have a horse named yep. Macaroni. Good good research by Stan. And Merlin goes, he's looking for the president and he goes, oh, that man's too young. He couldn't possibly be the president. And he just teleports away. <laughs> he's just the best bad guy. But luckily, he had already lured Thor in through the police. Thor, I keep saying Thor. What's wrong with me? He lured Thor in through there that message go. to the police. And Thor attacks him. Uh, he wants to be the supreme power of the 20th century, he says. And he fucks with Thor for a while. He's got, like, lightning eyes. And he can teleport around so that the hammer can't hear, hit him. And then he levitates the whole giant... <laughs> He picks up the entire Washington Monument, which is obviously awesome. And then he throws it at Thor, who once now we've seen him use this power before with a bus, but he manages to catch the very tip of the Washington Monument with Mjolnir and then immediately puts it right back where it was. <laughs> Mjolnir wraps around the very tip. It's like a little tiny strap on the hammer that just pulls it back. And then Merlin's yeah. pissed, so he lifts the entire fucking Pentagon. And yeah. <laughs> Thor, in order to not be crushed, uses Mjolnir to crack a hole in the ground, and then he lays in the hole. He just lays in the hole so the, the Pentagon will, uh, you know, that, that crack will protect him from the crushing weight of the entire building. Instead of just, like, fucking flying out of the way. And then once the building lands, he, like, bursts out of a hole in the ground, <laughs> and Merlin goes, Thor, you escaped! By how? By what magic? Oh, good the lord. The sorcery of my own wits! And, and the then, powerful hammer. And then Merlin goes for the Abraham Lincoln memorial, like the giant statue. Uh, <laughs> this is so stupid. <laughs> yeah, he animates he animates the 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 uh, Lincoln memorial statue, who stands up, and we really only see the feet. And then um, Thor, like, basically whips Mjolnir around and uses the force of the wind to just put him back in his seat. Now, I would like to remind everybody that that is a giant marble statue, but the sound effect that he makes when he sits down in the chair is plop. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is, 
Oh, and, the, the, the thing about these old comics is that that is so is that they are so goofy and that that is the absolutely the best part about them like there's a certain point i can't remember when where they start to take themselves a little too seriously and, but but like they're not taking themselves seriously enough where it's like oh this is like heavy drama but it's like that 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 perfect mix of like being goofy and old and then there's like a dark period and then it actually like understands what it is kind of thing but this is this is like perfect goofy comics it's absolutely phenomenal listeners to my show will be well familiar with 60s x-men i've said on my show more than once more ridiculous than 60s x-men is 60s thor 60s thor is a fucking thrill ride the entire way through it's so stupid and zany and wonderful i think if you read like 50s superman and batman comics like they might even top the ridiculousness Mm-hmm. But for Marvel, I think 60s Thor is like the shining pinnacle of the nonsense. I think it's yeah, this wonderful. Just phenomenal. So so Thor uh, is realized, like, this man's tossed three buildings at me now. <laughs> so he, he needs to trick him with some sorcery of his own. And he basically says, did you know I... He says, Merlin, before you vanish again, I've got a confession to make to you. Uh, and then he taps his hammer on the ground, which then turns into the walking stick and transforms him into Dr. Donald Blake, which is how Thor did this in the 60s. He just tapped his cane on the ground once or twice to change back and forth, which is amazing on its own. Mm-hmm. Then he basically tricks Merlin into thinking, like, I could do anything. I'm a shape changer. But if you get back inside of your crypt and I can close the lid again then I like that's you can sleep another thousand years and I won't destroy you is basically what he tricks and Merlin's like yeah okay it's, I mean it's a good deal <laughs> this this guy can do anything he's he he's got this magic hammer he's he's stopping me from throwing buildings at him he can shape change it he I just gonna take another nap and it's, he goes he's there he goes, how do I know you will not slay me while I'm helpless and he says you have Thor's word and he just goes back to sleep see me yeah. For another thousand years. Perfect. I, as you were reading this story, I hope you went, oh, this is why Chad wanted me to do this character. Because... <laughs> <laughs> he, he's so good. But he, like, even the, even the later stuff that, uh, that comes up with this guy, but no, this is, this, this issue, everybody read it now. It, it's, it's what, 13, 14 pages, well worth your time. It is so much fun. It's so silly. So he shows up in, I'll I'll cover this part briefly, Strange Tales, number 134, July 1965. Kang the Conqueror is traveling back in time to conquer Camelot, and he meets Mad Merlin. And, like, Mad Merlin realizes this this would alter history, so he fights some, he summons some demons to fight Kang, but Kang beats him up and chains him into the dungeons. But then the Watcher comes from the future with the thing and the human torch. This is back when, like, the Watcher was interfering with world affairs all the time, which is uh, what Dan Slott explored in his Trial of the Watcher stuff in the Fantastic Four re- recently. Yes. And he, they defeat Kang and save Camelot, and then Merlin is freed. Uh, have you seen Ant-Man and the Wasp yet? The, the no. new Quantumania movie? So, uh, I did not. Kang the Conqueror is in it prominently, and it's really fun. It's uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I know there's been uh, some criticism of the film, but I really, I really liked it. Okay. Uh, now, one of the problems with Marvel, and this is where people like Mark Grenwald and Roger Stern and Peter Sanderson would go back and try to uh, fix the problems from the past continuity. There was already a Merlin. Uh, Merlin has appeared, like the real Merlin has appeared in comics multiple times over the years. 
and uh, this is the Merlin Bob Drew. He's the one that goes on to become like the evil Merlin of other other world. Uh, but we'll get back we'll get back to that in a minute. That's the thing that later uh, later writers will have to fix. Yes. Uh, okay, this takes us to X Men number thirty. This is the X Men are not selling well at this time. They're trying everything they can, bringing in villains from other titles. And uh, we get a bizarre issue of the X-Men by Roy Thomas and Jack Sparling uh, with the Mad Merlin back in a new costume. Uh, I love that they selected this. I love that we get villain crossovers from title to title. That always makes me happy. Uh, how would you describe the uh, the the Merlin's co- Mad Merlin's costume? He's now being called the Warlock, by the way. This story is called The Warlock Wakes. Let me recap the issue a little bit. This is, uh, we open the issue and there's a creepy hand hovering over the X-Men, like plucking them out of the air. And the Mad Merlin is all like glowy and powerful. And he takes over the mind of Jean Grey because he wants to make her his mate and have her be like the queen of mutants. God, there are so many stories in comics where the creepy villain takes over the mind of the Supergirl and wants to make her his mate. Uh, yes. Go back and listen to my podcast that was the conversation about the portrayal of sexual assault and mind control <laughs> that's on my show. We cover a lot of that topic and uh, mention this here. But he's yeah. young to Jean Grey. There are few things on heaven or earth, female, which are unknown to one who has discovered the coveted secret of life immortal, for it was my power which brought you both here against your wills, as it shall be my power which shall soon be supreme over all the earth. And then he steps out of the smoke and like is creeping on Jean Grey so hard. This is a man who's like a thousand years old, but also he looks like he's like 70 years old. Yes. And Jean yes, is snapping his finger and, and, and cupping his head and his face yeah, and his hand. Grabbing her chin. He's like part yes. Liberace, but also part Harvey Weinstein. Like this guy yes. nurses me up. <laughs> he's, yes. he's yucky. Uh, and he wants to make her his queen. So so he like is showing off this city that he built underground. Well, no, no, no. Let it, let us be clear. The best way to impress a woman is to conjure bewinged horses. And <laughs> and it to be fair, it kind of worked because she said they're beautiful. So I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I think the cool thing here that he's trying to do, uh, and the art is fun here in some ways, but he has this like Camelot underground city. But uh, the guards have like Tommy guns and there's like winged horses, but also hovercrafts. Tommy guns, winged horses, hovercrafts, flying bicycles, and then like missile launchers. Uh, and this is the this is the one where while he was like he was he was using his telekinetic powers to basically build an army. Yeah, yeah, like, or like yeah. he's he's taking over minds and like assembling technology. He reveals that he wasn't actually in a coma, but uh, like he just pretended to be asleep mm-hmm. <laughs> while like doing things in his crypt with his mind. Uh, so this is like when the city started being built, and then when Thor left the Earth because he's afraid of Thor now. He like comes out and he's like, let me enter the witness protection program. I'm going to adopt yeah. a costume and a new identity so Thor can never find me. Yeah, uh, now that Thor's gone, clearly everything will be fine for me. <laughs> they're, they're, they're these they're these beautiful redheads that I can take to my underground lairs. Yes, Te- teenage redheads, even creep. <laughs> <laughs> he has trimmed his beard back though. He's got like a sleeker, like uh, like tight beard now, which is a yeah. much better look, but also still gross. He's gross. Yes, he has like a little green skull cap on the top of his head. That, like, yeah, with with his green gem, which we later is with the 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 gem of Jeopardy, which is also later retconned. 
Yes, yes, the the jewel of jeopardy. Well, yeah, 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 jewel of jeopardy. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. Long story short, he captures the X Men. He makes them fight in a tournament. Uh, he like has some technology or his own powers that can block Professor X's powers for a little while. Uh, he's like mind controlling Jean Grey and like making her watch the X Men fight. But they, of course, they end up beating him up, and he gets knocked back out and like wrapped up like a mummy and supposedly tossed back in his crypt again because that's proven so effective in the past in defeating yeah. and I, i'm summing a lot of stuff up here obviously but uh what are your thoughts but, on well there is one thing that's going to be very important for the future is that this this guy loves a tournament he loves a tournament he loves when he can pit two warriors against each other and watch them fight uh it's going to be a recurring theme with this guy uh he the, <laughs> It's really funny because, like, every time this guy gets drawn in this issue, I feel like he gets uglier, uh, <laughs> which is probably the my favorite part of it. Along yeah, there's the a way. few panels where it looks like his, like, lower teeth are kind of caving in. He's got that, like, very elderly... And, and then he'll turn and have, like, the scariest, like, fucking eyes. Like, his eyes are glowing green. Yeah. But the Why one is... thing that's con- one thing that's consistent, those eyebrows, baby. Those things are crazy. <laughs> out of control. Absolutely. <laughs> He has had a fashion consultant, though. Also, I'm just going to posit that this guy, this character is real gay. He's like Scar in the Lion King kind of gay. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's pretending to like younger women, but he's clearly been hanging. You, th- you think, you, you think he does protest too much is what you're saying here. He's... <laughs> yeah. Mongo, Mongu is his boyfriend. We're going to get there in a while. We're going to get to the, to the Mongu relationship. <laughs> But yeah, he it, so this this issue ends with him being wrapped up like uh, oh, mom, yeah. literally. Oh yeah, and, uh, and we can go back to as well. I, I can now actually see the costume. Thank goodness. And listen, he's got uh, on the cover. It's orange. On the inside, it's brown. But the cape has really become something special because now it's not just stars and moons, but it's also circles and uh, what appear to be the planet Saturn. Uh, You're always after me, Lucky Charms. Every time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, every time this his lucky charms cape remains consistent, uh, but now it's only green, only different shades of green. I I think it's very elegant on him, frankly. So this guy did not conquer the world. I think he got out of the crypt. He spent some time in whatever gay area of whatever big city. Mm-hmm. He had complete had a complete makeover, and now he wants a teenage queen to be his uh, mm-hmm. to be his his literal beard. He has a beard, but he wants yeah. a beard, uh, meaning a woman he can attach. Oh, to see, so it's, no, it's a beautiful metaphor, and it's like every time he appears, his beard is slowly removed until the day when he's finally clean shaven and he can accept who he truly is. That's what's going to happen. The next appearance, you just wait. He's just waiting for a Mongu to come along in his life. Yeah. That's all he wants. Okay, so he's back in X-Men 47 again. We get him again in a new costume. This time it's much more tailored, and he has a much more reasonable scheme. It's 1968. This is when Gary Friedrich is on the X-Men with Arnold Drake uh, and Don Heck and Werner Roth doing the art. Now he's calling himself the, the good lord, the warlock. So it's the same character, but he was Merlin the Mad, and then mm-hmm. Uh, he was the warlock. Now he's calling himself the Mahayogi uh, in his uh, next appearance. Uh, this costume is much better. It's got like a sleeker orange tunic. The boots are green. He's still got his cape, so that's uniform. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is my favorite of his three looks. Mm. 
maybe that maybe the first one is my favorite look actually yeah i i like this one i i like i like the gold chain i like the i like the big ruffly shoulders um it's a it's a quality look and i and i sort of like the what appear to be potentially sort of wizened uh silver fox temples here i don't know it's looking looking good looking looking classy yeah yeah he's he's been doing a little work at the gym maybe he's had some plastic surgery (laughs) uh he i i like his plot here the most so he's hanging out in like uh friendly areas in new york he's developed a name as a traveling show artist kind of like a mesmerist like very vaudeville style yes and everybody's talking about him. He's super popular. People are speaking about him all over the city. Yeah, and, and it's a hot ticket too because these guys are like, "Hey, we're going to take the ladies out," and they can't even get tickets to this guy. Like everybody wants to see this Maha Yogi. This is back with uh, Zelda, Zelda. Excuse me, Zelda Kurtzberg and Vera Cantor. I love the '60s Cafe Go Go Girls. They're my absolute favorite. Uh, but Beast and Iceman take their dates to this guy's show, and what he does is he. Uh, mesmerizes the crowd and then robs him, which is very much like the ringmaster from the Circus of Crime, if you know that character. Yeah. Uh, He's got his magic rock on his hat and Mm -hmm. uh, a loud sound system ends up defeating him. (laughs) Yeah, all all it took was 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 the the cranking of an incredible sound system for this guy to lose concentration on everything he was doing and be ultimately defeated. (laughs) But he is he's a little bit more of a realistic threat in this one. Those first two appearances are insane with the try the, like the type of scope they try to give this guy, the underground city, the lifting of the Pentagon off the ground. Like he's so overpowered. This one, he feels like a more realistic, manageable villain. Although yeah, I, can I, think of, he, I can think of 15 other mind control guys like Mesmero or ringmaster who do the same thing though. Yeah, so like he he mesmerizes the crowd and trying to tries to kind of get him going and everything, but like but ultimately a lot of the fighting he does is just like punching people. Like he punches beats a couple times. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of panels in this that are pretty fun. The art and the colors, and you you, you can see what the pencilers were trying to go for. They were the, the, fun. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I actually do want to call that out here because um it says lavish layouts by Don Heck, and I actually really loved the layouts in this issue um there's some really like uh there's a lot of really great variants panel to panel uh from from both angle and uh you know uh close-ups and like real high angle stuff and like little insets of hands and stuff like that It, it, it was a this one was um was a very good read um a lot of fun to uh, a lot lot of lot of candy for the eyes as it were um i i really liked this issue actually like from uh, so an art perspective the x-men turn the speakers way up he's been fighting him fighting them and then he goes he, he puts his hands in the air and he goes can't bear this soul-shattering torment another instant and i think if we read the dialogue here i think he's trying to hook up with the x-men he like he likes a couple uh, a couple strong teams <laughs> this mm-hmm. is a closeted character he mm-hmm. goes do with me what you <laughs> yeah you want you. to do with me, mutants? Lock me up, anything. Which is so horny of him. Uh, yes, you, you, uh, you, ice boy, touch, touch my hands, touch my shoulders, <laughs> anywhere you like, really. Lock me up, do anything you want yeah. to me. <laughs> oh goodness! Uh, but he gets arrested, and then he's gone. But this guy is never stays gone for too long. Nope. You can put him in jail, but he'll just go to sleep and wake up when it's, uh, his sentence is over. If if, well, if, if history sh- proves anything. 
or he just made you think he was in jail. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> so he then shows up next, 1977, in Marvel 2-in-1 number 33 by, Wal- by Marv Wolfman. Uh, one of Merlin's plots from Ancient Camelot comes from the, the present. Okay. The next time we see him is in Marvel 2-in-1 number 33 by Marv Wolfman. And we learn here that uh, the Mad Merlin, one of his plots from Ancient Camelot has now come to the present. So Modred the Mystic uh, has gone into suspended animation and Merlin enchanted four elementals at Stonehenge and sent them forward in time to attack when Modred yes. wakened from his coma. So the thing in Spider-Man have to feed them. So Merlin's not really featured. The Mad Merlin's not really featured here. But we no. get references to him back in uh, Camelot times. Yeah, him and Darkhold. And let us not forget his mud monster, his wind monster, and his many other monsters that come attack our friends here. <laughs> the the art in this is kind of cool. I love, I kind of love uh, a tournament story. And I like these like mystic enchantments. Like the little kid in me who loved reading comics is, is uh, enjoys this type of thing a lot. Mm-hmm. I, uh, the elemental monsters are really fun. Uh, Modred is a character who has magic villain stuff that went on back in Camelot. He uh, appears multiple times in Marvel's history after this. He's associated with Chiton and the Darkhold. He's a different character than Mordred. Yeah. Uh, now, Bob, you know the character Mordred a little better. This is the son of King Arthur. Uh, tell us about Mordred. Yeah, I, well, I mean, uh, even my knowledge of him is not great, other than he's like sort of uh, Arthur's estranged son. Uh, because like I said, uh, in, in Knights of X, we essentially um, like bring him back uh, as like a much younger man. So like the the as a the mythos, yeah, as a mutant, as a, as a young mutant uh, that that kind of joins Betsy and stuff. So um, I, I don't even know how connected the version of him I drew is to anything that's going on uh, past, present, or future in the Marvel universe. Honestly, so. Anthony Oliveira and I do an episode on Bova that came out just a few weeks ago. It's a ton of fun. Bova is connected to the character Modred, but it's a different Modred than the Modred we're talking about. So I think they're mm-hmm. often called like Modred the Mystic and Modred the Evil. Uh, I am not a good like Arthurian scholar by any means. No, I get, I get really baffled by a lot of this stuff very quickly. But what Modred the Mystic does have is very cute buckly shoes that which appear <laughs> prominently in this Marvel 2 and 1. So yeah, I, I'm gonna need to do like a clarifying section. When we release this episode, I will release at the end of this uh my research diatribe on the differences between Modred and Mordred. So yes. listeners, stay tuned. I will sort this out by the end because it frustrates me. You're gonna love it because I don't know the difference and I draw these stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> As long as the writers know what they're doing. But yeah, it gets very confusing uh, from time to time. Yeah. Um, Okay. Then we've got Incredible Hulk 210 to 11, 1977, same year by Len Wein. It looks like, okay, uh, 10,000 years ago, there was this super powerful gemstone that got powered up in a mystic ritual. And it's called the Hellfire Helix. And it exploded into shards. And those shards have powered up a bunch of Marvel characters over the decades. 
uh, uh, Fabian Nicieza explores the Hellfire Helix really well during his Thunderbolts run. And he talks about all the different characters that it powered up, like Manwolf and Moonstone. But the most mm -hmm. notable one is Ulysses Bloodstone, who has yes. like uh, the stone embedded in his chest that he's now passed on to Elsa and Cullen. Uh, this is not a Hellfire. Who wears it on, as a as a choker, very fashionable choker. This is not a this is not a Hellfire Helix podcast, but this is a, this is deep like Marvel lore that connects to a lot of characters. And it looks like one of those shards was discovered by the Mad Merlin. They're still mm -hmm. calling him a, a mutant here. Uh, let, yes. me read, let me read some of the narration. It says, with this necromantic jewel in his possession, the mutant endured through the following ages. He was witness to the building of the pyramids, and he stood smugly by while the emperor Julius Caesar was savagely slain by his closest companions. But at last he overindulged himself when he assumed the identity of Merlin, magician to the throne of King Arthur. For a time, his mutant abilities enabled him to carry off his deception, but his powers were no match for those of the realm Merlin, uh, of, of the real Merlin, excuse me, uh, when he returned to Camelot to find a pretender in his place. Merlin sealed the imposter, who by now believed that he was truly Merlin, in a special crypt where he passed the spinning centuries in suspended animation until he woke uh, to find himself in our world. So this is a retconned version of his history, and I kind of like it better. <laughs> Let me hear yeah. your thoughts, Bob. No, I, th I think this is better because it's like... Uh... Having him actually have maybe have been Merlin was kind of weird. So having him be an imposter is is totally good with me, honestly. Like, because he's, he, again, he's he's real weird. He's a real goofy guy. I don't know, man. So he has built himself another underground, or not underground, another city, another base of power. Yeah, uh, but but it's a, it is a very cool... Uh, castle but he's using mystical incantations to make it look like some kind of business <laughs> <laughs> he's also got a bunch of trained mercenaries and he has recruited himself a monstrous bodyguard called mongu uh m-o-n-g-u we love mongu uh bob Mon talks about yes. mongu mong listen mongu has an incredibly tragic backstory that we get uh, in in the in the next issue where it he 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 lived on uh, in like this warrior realm right and he was one of the greatest uh uh gladiators that ever was but then he showed fear while he was battling man thing uh and it fused his battle axe to his hand forever right but in a world where everyone is warriors when you show weakness and fear you are shunned so he, a, a shunned mongu, walked to the fabled abyss of eternity and flung himself off into the abyss and fell for what must have been ages until suddenly a green-clad arm grabs him and pulls him into our reality. And are then you, he, Are he you promises, ready for something wild? I'm ready for something wild, yes. This is not mongu's first appearance. He first shows up in Adventure into Fear number 14, July 19th or June 1973. Uh, this is when Steve Gerber is writing Man Thing and he's telling all these insane stories of Man Thing's like misadventures. Uh, so the Man Thing and Jennifer Kale fight Mongu in this like gladiatorial arena. <laughs> and the end of that issue is where he kind of disappears. And now we're, th this backstory is like transitioning him into our realm. So mm -hmm. they, the, the, the for this story they pulled in mongu and the mahayogi and made them a couple <laughs> yeah and then, and then he he's pledged his life 
to the Mahayogi to death and uh, until death and beyond. So I mean, this is this is a serious relationship. He is his houseboy. He is the juggernaut to the Mahayogi's Black Tom. It's so cute. Uh, describe Mangu for us. Mangu could best be described as a as a large, hulking gentleman wearing uh, a sort of blue. Uh, I guess it's queerest is the is, is there curious queerest? I can't remember. It's something like that. Uh over his uh over his upper body. Uh obviously a large axe which has been fused to his hand, uh, and then some very I guess booty shorts, sort of. Uh and then uh a, a real some cool boots. Uh, but the, the most notable thing about him is his wild flowing hair and uh sort of pointy forked beard. Uh, that that he has uh, again. Uh, he also has some impressive eyebrows as well. So maybe, maybe that, that might have been part of the attraction. That's... Like, hey, this is a guy who has uh, a similar, um, you know, eyebrow ritual to me before I go to bed every night. The same sy syrups and serums are applied to make sure that they are uh, properly quaffed. <laughs> now. Uh... <laughs> The Mahayogi here, he's in a similar costume to the one he just had in the X-Men. He's hanging mm -hmm. out with Mangu. He's got this city. And he, okay, he has unlocked the power of the Hellfire Helix, which is the stone that he apparently has had through all of his previous appearances. But he's calling yes. it the Jewel of Jeopardy, which is wonderful. And now he wants to conquer the world. And there's this image of him, like he's picturing himself conquering the world, which is an image of a giant him, like straddling the earth in space, which is just wonderful. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so now this story is very much a Dr. Druid story. Dr. Druid is an old 50s mystic that was a member of the Avengers in the 80s under Monica Rambeau. Uh, Warren Ellis killed him off in a truly wild storyline in the 90s. Uh, this guy's an asshole. He's kind of a creepy magician guy. Uh, yeah. now, let us be Dr. Anthony Druid. Tony yes. to his friends. Old Tony Druid came through town. <laughs> his middle name is Ludgate, by the way, which is amazing. I, uh, Dr. Dr. T.L. Druid. That may be the most nerdy fact I have in my brain, that Dr. Druid's middle name is Ludgate. That's, that's it's a good factoid though <laughs> okay so they are seeking uh okay oof i'm trying to be succinct on some of these it, yeah it's not easy a lot of these They're... a lot of these villainous plots get a little convoluted <laughs> so dr druid has sought out bruce banner or the hulk to help him take down uh the mahayogi because he sensed the threat of the jewel of jeopardy and they go to a Merlin Industries in Palisades, New Jersey, and they discover these business buildings are just an, like an illusion that yes. the public can see to cover this massive castle. Uh, they go through a series of traps. There's illusions of fire. They fight a knight with a lance on a motorcycle. And there's that was my favorite. That was my absolutely my favorite part of this because, like, uh, so. Obviously, Bruce Banner and the Hulk have a have a real tumultuous relationship. And Bruce is like, I'm not going to be the Hulk here, man. It's just not happening for me. So he's like, I've got to be Bruce Banner in order to solve these problems. So in order to stop this, this lance-wielding motorcycle rider, he takes a stick and jams it into the front wheel of the motorcycle. But the art on it is so funny because the motorcycle doesn't flip. It just stops dead on the ground and then... The the motorcycle rider just goes careening forward. It is the funniest panel in the entire book. I love it so much. 
<laughs> now, my theory here is that the Mahayogi and Mangu have built themselves like a secret sex castle off in the middle of everywhere. Well, that, like, that is revealed to probably be true in the next issue. So, <laughs> so Dr. Druid and the Hulk fight. They get past the knights with the laser lances. And then Dr. Druid and the Mahayogi are having like a telepathic battle, like Professor X style, over trying to both dominate the Hulk's mind. But then Mangu comes out... And he captures Dr. Druid and the Hulk and they hang they hang them in a sex dungeon in some giant like electric zappy metal underpants yeah. on the wall. I would, I would like it noted that that last page where they're having the psychic battle over uh, over the Hulk's brain is actually really awesome. Yeah, where no, it's no. like they use all these little panels where it's like Dr. Druid's like, you're going to capture Mahayogi. And then it's like, wait, and then, and then and then the Mahayogi is like, no, you're going to get Dr. Druid. And like he's and like. The, the the Hulk is getting increasingly more enraged as this whole thing is going on. And it's really, really great until he eventually goes, I can't take it anymore, and slams his own head into the ground, knocking himself out. <laughs> Absolutely tremendous. <laughs> there's also, this is a 70s book, there's also one of those old ads in here that's like, order this, uh, order magic supplies from this company. And the image of the wizard that they have in this ad looks like... <laughs> <laughs> the Mad Merlin from his first appearance, which is kind of amazing. <laughs> uh, okay, so they're in the yeah, metal so they, yeah. So they they put him in the sex dungeon. We we got to get back to this sex dungeon here now. They they have what? It's like these weird. I don't know how you would describe them. It's sort of like a like a chastity belt, sort of that is goes right up the crotch area, and then they've and got like it's two big for the Hulk. They've got a Hulk size one for Mangu and a regular wizard size one for. <laughs> Yeah, so they, I mean, they were obviously prepared because this took a certain amount of blacksmithing. Let's be very clear. This, <laughs> this is high high end metallurgy. Like the, you don't make you don't just have these lying around. Now, just for fun, because this turns him on, the Mahayogi has Bruce Banner face Mongu in another arena battle. This is his yep. king. This guy really gets off on this. Yes. Uh, like uh, then Banner changes to Hulk. Uh, Doctor Druid. Uh, makes Warlock drop the Jewel of Jeopardy and then the Hulk crushes it and then the Mahayogi without his power source ages into like an old Crypt Keeper uh, like withers away like uh, uh, Indiana Jones drinking from the <laughs> oh yeah it, rail it, it, style. This, this dude just looked into the Ark of the Covenant his entire face melts <laughs> I, I love that sequence too where he's like you mindless fools you have any idea what you've done it's his face like, I'm melting melting yeah he really does then he turns into like this withered old husk at the end oh it's fantastic and Mongu like cradles his body and slowly so like, sweet. carries him away at the end master it's speak to me <laughs> These two issues were so fucking fun. Both of them are just a wild, incredible 70s Hulk run. I, I loved reading those two. It's so fun. Yeah, these were great. These were really, really great. I loved them. Uh, did you have any comments on the Jewel of Jeopardy itself? Uh, none other than I thought it was interesting that it like it was tied to the to the, you know, the the Bloodstone family. And on top of the fact that it made it when when crushed, it made an old man melt like that was <laughs> that was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, OK, we have three stories left. Are we OK on time, Bob? I just want to make sure we're being. Responsible. Yeah, we're all right. 
Okay, uh, three stories left. Let me cover one very quickly because it's kind of just a quick one, but it takes some explaining. Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme, number 27, part two. Fuck, I'm a nerd. Listen to this. Uh, it's 1991, and there's a series of backup stories taking place here where they're explaining- Wait, which one is it? Is 27? Yeah, Doctor Strange, Sorcerer yeah, yeah. Supreme, 27. And this is part of a series of backup stories that they used to run back then, kind of tying up all of Marvel's stuff. So this is a, a series- that's explaining the history of werewolves. And we learn about a group called the Caretakers of Arcturus, uh, mm -hmm. who are super-powered aliens that are powered by the Beyonders because they've been experimented with. And then they came to Earth and experimented with people here. And they made the first werewolf, whose name is Greysire, and powered a couple of humans, one of whom is the Mad Merlin, and one who became the Sphinx. So the Merlin is, Merlin is just like barely mentioned here. Uh, the Sphinx, of course, is the really famous new warriors and Nova villain who's like their really powerful guy that they fight. Uh, these caretakers of Arcturus also helped create Pangea, which is the, the resort area of the Savage Land we recently talked about on the Kesar trial. Uh, these, these characters also show up in Fantastic Four 316. And uh, uh, basically, they're used to clean up some Marvel history. But this is a werewolf story with a passing mention that these guys powered up the Mad Merlin. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this story, Bob? It's uh, it's, it's kind of just another weird, unnecessary retcon. Uh, honestly, like these guys have a real peculiar idea of what caretaking is. But, you know, all good. <laughs> Whatever you got to do, you guys. <laughs> It's, yeah, so much, it's it's a real odd one. <laughs> there's so much bigger than Earth. <laughs> uh, okay, so, uh, and God, does Earth have a lot of, Marvel's Earth have a lot of aliens who've experimented on humans or the planet yeah. at some point in their history. Okay, then we get into Avengers Annual number 22. It's 1993. This is by Glenn Herdling. And the Mahayogi and Mangu are still together. They are a long-term <laughs> couple in gay years. And they have attacked the uh, Avengers Mansion because they want to get revenge on Dr. Druid. But he wasn't home. And instead, they found Crystal there in the shower with her baby Luna. And the nanny Marilla is there. Marilla is this bizarrely misshapen large inhuman woman with the giantest lips you've ever seen <laughs> and lockjaw is there and dr druid takes over marilla's mind and makes her hold a blade to baby luna's throat uh during this battle which is nuts anyway summing it up mahayogi has a couple of new allies lesever and shandu the mystic and they attack the other avengers uh who are hercules vision black knight black widow black widow ends up knocking the mahayogi out and these guys were apparently looking for artifacts hidden by the avengers in their mansion uh, but then Lockjaw teleports them away. I like way oversimplified that story. <laughs> I, I, it's a good, it's a good summation though. And what I like is that Lockjaw saved the day. Uh, as somebody who got to draw Lockjaw, uh, I love him. He's great. He's real cute. And I, and I, uh, when I drew him, I made sure that he was laying in a bed, uh, looking as loafy as possible. And I was very pleased about it. <laughs> I love your way of describing things, my friend. Uh, I, love, <laughs> I love that Mongu and the Mahayogi are still together. Hey, uh, until death and beyond. Okay. Yes. Mongu takes this seriously. This is, this is, he's in a committed relationship. 
and uh ain't nothing gonna stop him there's a thousand years between them but nothing can keep them apart stand uh, by your man it's a true unsung marvel love story i'm gonna write really this is. story someday uh, i think it's this beautiful is, this is mongu's last appearance and then we get now in- that now that is a tragedy <laughs> <laughs> someone give us more mongu he's showed up four times uh okay now it's the year 2000 i'll be very quick in my summation here peter david uh is writing genus vel captain marvel which is the rick jones captain marvel kind of buddy comic it's so funny there are so many parts of this story if you read it front to back that are so so funny peter david is a brilliant comedy writer sometimes and he's giving us an incredible uh, mad merlin story he calls him merlin demon spawn and yes. he, he here is trying to find the literal Holy Grail, which is a magic artifact in Marvel Land. And he discovers that the literal mother of Grendel, like the monster from like classic literature. From uh, Beowulf, sure. Has sure, been yeah. buried and he needs to cast a spell to awaken her so that he can try to find the Holy Grail. That's his plot here that you get later. And the spell involves sacrificing 100 virgins in one place at a particular time uh, on top of where Beowulf's mother, or excuse me, uh, Grendel's mother has been buried. Yeah. Hey nerds, where are you going to find a hundred virgins? Do you think? So t- would it be, <laughs> would it be your local comic book shop? Cause that's his plan. <laughs> so he opened the comic- there was a good, there was a good dig in there where they were like, well, if you really wanted to do it, you should have gone to a Star Trek convention. And he's like, oh, that would have been much easier, damn it. Which I, which I resent as the son of somebody whose father took them to a Star Trek convention. And he <laughs> has definitely had sex, okay? It's like twice, because I have a brother. So... <laughs> I don't know if I'm spilling too much family tea Well, here. <laughs> you and I being comic book nerds, we both have vibrant sex lives ourselves with our spouses. Uh <laughs> So yeah, his plot here, he opens a comic book shop, which again, Peter David, this is so funny. Uh, it's called Golden Orange Comics. Uh, there is this kind of long- A plot- reference to a reference to Golden Apple Comics in uh, Los Angeles, California. Absolutely, yes. Uh, and there's, there's kind of a long-term plot that runs for a while. There is a rival comic shop opened across the street and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And there's a weird hero that attacks, but you never really get his name. And he gets turned into a red bird by by Merlin. And then yeah. that is Marlo's pet for a while, but then it escapes and is part of the thing that takes Merlin down. It's a complicated, weird story. The art is by Criss Cross. Are, are you a Criss Cross fan? Um, Sometimes it works for me. Sometimes I'm like, I'm not sure if this is my thing, but um, I, I don't not like it. Uh, there's just a couple things every now and then where I'm like, I'm not sure if this is my my particular cup of tea. There's some things he does very well, though, which I like. What is uh, what is Merlin's costume here? He is gayer than ever. Good God. Hang on. I, I need I need to actually it, it's taking a minute to load here because I need to be able to properly describe this thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, you're OK. No, I, I got it here. So here we go. He's got. I I hesitate to say there there is something very drag queen about what's going on in the yes, face and hair yes, right is. like like he's got these giant buns with with like you know sort of a silver uh like again silver temple going through them right with a, a very flowery uh again sort of like maybe bird like but also maybe sort of floral forehead motif 
uh, with I I'm assuming this is actually his facial hair, but like like facial hair sideburns that go straight up his cheeks, but then a a long goatee that is sort of capped off with with a with a little uh, I don't know like a beret or something at the end with a jewel on it. But then there's like three eyes and sort of a pyramid shape around back and the huge uh, triangular earrings. But then the the actual clothing is spectacular giant uh golden shoulder pads with a very kirby-esque sort of technology running through them you'll you'll know it when you see it uh, along with a long flowing i guess sort of dress maybe coat with uh, uh that is apparently held up specifically by the nipples uh with these two little uh, I, as far as i can tell they are nipple clamps that are holding the 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 this coat to him, I guess. But then he has uh, three eyes tattooed on his chest, uh, torn uh, sleeves down by the hands with immaculately manicured, very long nails. Uh, it's purple, purple, nails. purple, purple nails. Th there's really nothing like it in comics today, kids. I got to tell you that. He is so, so fabulously gay in this. Uh, he is dressed for like the, the fucking partiest of parties. Like he's, he is ready to flow in yeah. like, Billy Porter I mean, style. Yeah, we're we're recording this during Carnival, I think. So I mean, he fit right <laughs> in. Uh, so he he uh, he reveals himself finally after like casting a spell and taking over the minds of a hundred virgins. There's this long plot. I'm going to kind of summarize this because this is very much a Captain Marvel story that involves a lot of characters that just are not super important to this. Yeah. But he he reveals himself. He says. I'm Merlin, that's right, the Merlin, spawn of darkness, nemesis of the Fae, mentor to Arthur Pendragon, in short, the greatest sorcerer in the history of civilization, and from some time before that. Uh, basically what ends up happening, he does cast the spell, he awakens Grendel's mother. Uh, <laughs> do you want to talk about what happens between him and Grendel's mother, Bob? Um, you know what? I'm gonna be honest with you. I didn't. I didn't get to read that part. Oh yet. no, no, you're okay. So he he awakens the monster, and uh, Merlin is so fucking furious uh, because all of the nerds didn't know of her legend. Like they're not familiar with Beowulf. Apparently, uh, Grendel's mother takes on a bizarre like humanoid form, and then she's preparing to feast on the virgins. But she demands to know what Merlin wants from her first. And he tells her about the Holy Grail and she's like, fuck no, I'm not going to help you. Not, that's not something that I'm interested mm -hmm. in doing. And then the that, like red bird hero attacks and then Genus Fell and Moondragon are there. They get through his wards and like Merlin's just having a real bad day after all this planning. He gets his ass kicked and then he ends up getting trapped inside a crimson prison of some kind, which totally makes me think of like Juggernaut and Sidorak. And then Grendel's mother is like, I'm going to be famous. And she gets a Hollywood agent and like wanders off into Hollywood. I, I'm summing up a lot of stuff. This is another character who has made more returns. But this is the last time that we have seen Merlin. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this bizarre Peter David story outside of the Merchant's joke? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely worth a read. Like, even as far as I got into it, it's 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 a hoot. The the again, this this design is worth the the look in and of itself um yeah it's it's quite something it's quite something gentle listener <laughs> so as we are wrapping up uh what was it like for you to learn the history of this character do you have thoughts on him uh what is the perfect merlin story that's waiting to be told 
You know, the thing that I, I like about it um, is that his origin is goofy. All, most of his appearances are goofy. And then carried forward even into this Captain Marvel story, he's still kind of goofy, right? Like there, there, there is a there is a note of sort of acknowledging his origins as like this completely insane Thor, Thor villain followed into a completely insane uh, X-Men villain. And every appearance of him remains remarkably goofy and you know what every now and then that's what you need that not everything needs to be like what i was while i was reading it i was i was commenting to my wife that like every, every single issue somebody's trying to take over the world and sometimes it's okay if the guy that's trying to do it is a little incompetent <laughs> <laughs> and and that that sometimes feels like what the what this dude's deal is is like i'm gonna take over the world but i'm not gonna do a great job at it this guy has some through lines to his character that I think are fascinating. Insane plots that are on a pretty mm-hmm. big level. Uh, retcons about his mm-hmm. origins. The You never quite know what he is. Is he magic or mutant or some sort of pretender? Uh, he's always... Is he a guy that just makes good soups? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he's always ugly, but always also like dressed to the fucking nines. He's like... He, uh, every one of his looks is iconic and kind of unlike anybody else out there. And then he mm-hmm. always, it always ends badly for him. Every time he's defeated, it's in some sort of terrible way. Uh, I like this villain. I think he's terrible and I hate him for yeah. reasons uh, largely related to the teenage Jean Grey of it all. But yeah. uh, he, ne- he, he ne- the, the funny thing is like he's trying to do all these things. He never really ever gets close. Like ever. <laughs> he never gets anywhere near the goal. He's like, I'm taking over the world. Well, oh, I don't know. I dropped the Pentagon on Thor and I couldn't do it. And then he told me that he was a shape changer, so I should probably go back to sleep. But like, <laughs> you know, like he's just he's just not cut out for this gig. I uh we often talk about Black Tom and Juggernaut never quite being allowed to be gay. This is a couple I would love to write and just bring back in a random Marvel story. We don't even mention their history. We just show the Mahayogi and Mangu as like a, a cute little couple who are doing crimes together. That's the story yeah. I want. Or, or, or no, what it needs to be. See, they they never really explain how he stopped being old here when he came back. So what I really want is like, it's like a like a like a little slice of life story where like they're at a local cafe and he's like this shriveled old man and and like. Mongoose just feeding him soup. And he's, oh, thank you, Mongoose. Till, <laughs> till death and beyond, you are my true love forever and ever. And Mongoose is the gold digger who's just waiting for the, like, the, the 85 year old to die. Yeah, he's just like, I'm getting that money. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, the simple answer, though, is he never got old. He just used a mental illusion to make them think he was old and then wandered off with his boyfriend. I mean, that's his. Oh, yeah. He's like, he's like, man, I bit off more than I can chew. What I got to do is convince these guys I'm old so that we can just be in love elsewhere. (laughs) He's like, Mongo, let's go back to my sarcophagus. We will fit nicely in there together. Uh, This is this is cute. I I like this villain more than I thought I did after talking to you today. (laughs) I've convinced you that this man is a great man. Well, I mean, he's a terrible man, but a really fun character. I would actually love to see him back. Uh, Bob Quinn, I think you're fabulous. Thank you for spending this large amount of time with me in the middle of your workday to talk to you about a nonsense villain. Uh, I would love to uh, hear from you. Where can people find you online? And do you have anything you want to plug? We're going to put this out uh, the first week of March. 
Ooh, I would love to. So yeah, if you want to find me online, you can sometimes find me on Twitter, though not that much these days since it's kind of become a weird cesspool. But I am at RobotJQ. If you write to me, I will probably write you back, but I don't post that much uh, there anymore. Uh, I'm at uh, Instagram at King of Smaster. I know that S-M-A-S-T-E-R doesn't make a ton of sense. I'll explain it to you if you want to ask me sometime. Uh, I'm at, on Tumblr still, if you want, if you like that, uh, A1 Courier. Let's see. Uh, there's a new social media network called uh, Spoutable, which is basically Twitter. I'm on there, RobotJQ. Um, also at, at Hive, but I guess everybody jumped off of that too. I don't know. One of these social networks is going to stick and I'll be there. So, <laughs> uh, But as far as things I want to plug, uh, let me tell you something, my friends. Um, many years ago, I drew a picture of a uh, punk rock band and I wrote a story around it that was very, uh, uh, very bare bones. And I thought to myself, I'm never going to write this book. I'm never going to make this book. It's never going to come out. Well, uh, fast forward a few years and I get an email from an editor at Humanoids and they said, hey, Bob, are you working on anything? Well, I sent them a, uh, a pitch that... Uh, Basically, my friend saw the drawing and was like, I want to write this. And I said, here's the basic outline of what I want to do. What do you think? Can we do this together? He said, yes. We came up with a pitch. We sent it off to Humanoids. They said, we love it. We want to do it. And then uh, like a year and a half later, I'd completed the book. It's coming out April 29th. Uh, it's called Black Cat Social Club. And the elevator pitch is a uh, punk rock band composed entirely of which is accidentally starts the apocalypse and um do your old pal bob a favor and uh and go order it it's it's been a real labor of love it's something i never thought i'd be able to do and i'm so pleased it's finally coming out where can people order this uh you should be able to order it at your favorite books uh, at any bookstore uh it 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 Humanoids has a deal with Simon and Schuster, so you should be able to order it okay. at like uh Barnes and Noble if you want. You should also be able to order it at your local comic book shop. Fantastic. Black Cat Social Club. I think you are a phenomenal talent. I can't wait to check that out. It's I, a lot of fun. It's very and, silly. And then you still have regular Alligator Loki stuff coming out as well? Yeah. Uh, Alligator Loki is still coming out pretty regularly. Um, I don't know what days they come out, but we are currently in season two and uh, new issues are coming out weekly right now, I think. So um, yeah, if you have the Marvel Unlimited app, number one, you should have the Marvel Unlimited app anyway. This is how I'm reading all this stuff. And like I, I was doing the math on if I was trying to do my new mutants read through by buying all the individual issues, it's it pays for itself in two days. Absolutely. You, actually, it pays for itself in one day if you're if you read like I do. So um, you should get it not only because it basically has every Marvel comic that's ever come out, but on top of that, it also has alligator Loki, which is going <laughs> to, uh, by the end of the, this, the, this second one will have 24 uh, infinity comics that, that go on forever that, uh, that have been a real, a real pleasure to work on. And uh, I hope that you will enjoy them as much as I have enjoyed drawing them. Uh, Bob Quinn, thank you. Thank you. I look forward to reading your book and it's just such a joy to spend time with you. Thanks for your time today, my friend. You too. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, I love getting to laugh. Now, Gray Malkin Lane, you can find uh, Gray Malkin PP Like Podcast on Twitter, Gray Malkin underscore Lane on Instagram. Around the time we release this episode, we will be putting out our episode about X-Men number 65. We are drawing to a close on volume one and there's so much great stuff coming up in the next few months. Uh, uh, that, that episode features uh, Alex Segura 
and Keith DeCandido, and uh, it's a ton of fun. Uh, we've, I've already recorded it. It's great. So make sure to give it a listen. The next Patreon episode after this is going to be on the character Madame Sanctity with my drag queen friend, Demanda Martini, and it's going to be a delight as well. Uh, and stay tuned right after this. I, I will spend a few extra minutes explaining the differences between Modred and Mordred. So... Best, best of luck to you, buddy. I don't get it. <laughs> I need to do it. I've, I've, I've been confused on more than one episode now. It's time to uh, it's time to sort it yeah, out. For, for the listener, we had to chop a section because we realized that I was confused about which one. And then we were like, actually, we're going to ax this whole section because we both were saying the wrong thing. So, I was like, wait, damn it, I messed up again. Yeah, it's... It's significant. There's there's a lot of lore there, and if you don't get it right, people get angry at you on the message boards. So I'm gonna figure it out. It's uh, it's gonna, it's gonna <laughs> bug me till I do. All right, Bob. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day. All right. So during my recording with Bob today, we got caught up multiple times on Modred versus Mordred. Modred, the evil Mordred, the mystic, and I can almost guarantee there have been at least a few times when these characters' names have been interchanged. Now, here's why I'm so frustrated, because I thought I was screwing up, but really, these characters are extraordinarily similar, and it's almost frustrating to try to keep them apart. So, let me tell you a quick difference, and you can look up more information on the Marvel Appendix, or on the Marvel Wiki, or other places. These are not comprehensive character files by any means. The character Modred, who's often called Modred the Evil, first appears in Marvel Chillers number 1 in 1975. Uh, he has origins in the 6th century. He's an apprentice magician under Gervas, and he's betrothed to someone named Janus, and he's invited to apprentice under Merlin. But it turns out, uh, and this is the real Merlin, not the mad Merlin, and it, uh, he ends up turning to the Darkhold, and he fights Chiton, and he ends up getting sealed in a crypt. Listen to all of the similarities. This is frustrating. Uh, he reawakens in modern times. He battles Chiton again. This is the guy that was in Avengers number 185 through 187, who uh, helped teach the Scarlet Witch about her past and then tried to sacrifice her to Chiton. Uh, this is the guy who Bova tended to when he lost his mind for a long time. Uh, he teams up with the brass, excuse me, with Puck in Alpha Flight to fight the brass bishop. He has teamed up with Spider Woman. He fought Captain Britain. <clears throat> Last time, as far as I know, that he was seen, it was in 1995 in part of the Darkhold uh, Books from the Pages of Sin, I think is the name of the title. He's on a team called the Darkhold Redeemers, uh, which involves Sabretooth and Doctor Strange and the Ungari. So there are connections uh, peripherally to the X-Men world. The character Mordred is the more classic character from uh, Arthurian legend. So Merlin, the, again, the real wizard in Arthurian legend, gives a prophecy that Arthur's son uh, is going to end up destroying Camelot. This is Mordred. Uh, this is the guy that trained with Morgan Le Fay. He ends up fighting his father. Uh, then Sir Percy becomes the Black Knight with the ebony blade, and Mordred fights him a whole bunch of times. Uh, he's fought the Black Knight, Black Knight multiple times over the centuries. Uh, he first shows up in Black Knight number one in 1955. And then again, he comes back in modern times. He's fought Captain Britain and the Avengers with Morgan Le Fay. He fought the Black Knight again. Uh, and then uh, in the story of Bob Quindrew, he's the guy that uh, that was uh, seemingly killed by or in the Black Knight special that featured the X-Men. Then he's resurrected in Knights of X. He is a mutant with powers unknown, and he has recently rebuilt bridges with his father. 
So Modred and Mordred, who sound interchangeable, and both of them are part of this whole confusing Mad Merlin stuff. Anyway, I hope that helps listeners. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to hear that stupid summary <laughs> of these characters. <laughs> but uh, they're both peripheral to the X-Men world, and I hope that cleared up any confusion from today's episode. Uh, we'll see you back here next time.